You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums Must Hear Before You Die. about American Music Club California. In the room I have Rob. Do you like American Music Club? And on the line I have Kyle. Rob, how long were you sitting on that? That was pretty good. (laughs) Since we were right when we were about to start this. Dude said baby. And I saw the the name American Music Club. I was like, oh yeah, American Music. California is the third studio album by the American indie rock band American Music Club. It was released on November 10th, 1988 on Frontier Records. The producer was Tom Malone, and the genre is indie rock, slowcore, and Americana. I'm going to read from the book. Melody Maker once called American Music Club the most criminally underrated band in the world. A pretty accurate description, as this band seems forever committed to obscurity. An Americana band, long before the term was coined as a music genre, American Music Club seamlessly blend rock, punk, folk, and country on California. Their definitive statement, featuring the songwriting genius of Mark Eitzel, a doomed and sympathetic soul, if ever there was one. It was recorded in the aftermath of the first worthwhile effort, Engine, released the year before. Eitzel has described Engine as a failed attempt to making a big rock classic, and the members were genuinely shocked when R.E.M. took the mainstream by storm instead, a band they compared themselves to consistently. They resolved to record a quieter, more introverted album next time. The album opens with the simple Lovelorn Firefly before breaking into a fierce rocker somewhere, which contains the brilliant gutter poetry lines, we got a lot to lose and maybe we can lose it all tonight. There are genuine massive masterpieces here such as a soaring western sky and a heartbreaking blue and gray shirt concerning a friend's death from aids the closing track the incredibly sad last harbor is the best thing that eitzel has ever written all right what do we think of american music club california i had no idea this was a band before uh this week nope never not once have i ever um, heard of this band man i i like some of it and i am indifferent or just just indifferent to other parts of it, really. This record, I, I, you know, I went through, I scoured the internet for information information about them. Saw some really glowing reviews um, for people who were really ecstatic about the band. And, um, you know, I, I didn't hear it at first when I first gave this record a listen. I didn't, I didn't get into it, but um, I, I persevered. I listened to it over and over. And there's a lot of good stuff on this record. I think what I ultimately came down to is like sad sack Kyle, like mm-hmm. late teens. You know, early twenties, Kyle would have eaten this record with a with a fork. Like it's incredible, beautiful songwriting and sensitive and pained and desperate and great record. I mean, yeah, Last Harbor is oof, yeah, 
Now, is that because of your REM? Did you get the REM connection? Because that was, I didn't get it at first, but after a while, I was like, okay. I didn't think of that until you just mentioned it, to be okay. honest. But it's, I mean, they're a little more, REM is a little more, let's say, opaque, I suppose. Mm-hmm. With their with their lyrics and their and their arrangements, this is very earnest. Very earnest, uh, sad sack rock with great guitar playing. Yeah. Very direct arrangements and, and delivery, um, yeah. which, which, which I, I liked a lot. I like this record a whole bunch. Um, yeah. I did the same thing that you did where I, I started off and firefly for some reason, I was like, this is not my speed. Like okay. I'm not going to get into this. He Do was you just know what like, I wrote next to that. He, go ahead. <laughs> what is this? Why am I listening to pre come Dave Matthews? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I felt like <sighs> it, it, it came off as, ungenuine and sort of like phony in a, in a weird way. It, it just had this like, baby, what happened to you? And then it just had, you know, it went, Oh, I guess you're looking for sister midnight. And it had all these references that were just, it just felt like a cheesy yeah. pops attempt at a pop song. And then as the record went on, I was kind of like you, Kyle I was like, wait, this is more interesting. Like it was just the initial song that turned me off uh, right away. And then as I got to somewhere, I was like, wait, hold on. This is women heads. You know, this is yeah, a, a yeah. lot of other bands that are James picking up. or something. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was listening to tons of Nick Drake at the time he was writing this. Yes. And, <laughs> of course, <laughs> uh, Tim Buckley and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, sure. okay. starting to get into it. And then laughing stock came on pretty good. Lonely yeah. again, lemon heads vibe. Yeah. Lonely. Yeah. Fucking great hook. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's like one or two on here. I just, uh, I wasn't a big fan of, but I just feel like Firefly was like the wrong way for me to start the album for me. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like I, I wish it would have started with lonely, uh, or somewhere, you know, something else just to get me in there. And then you can kind of go the country Western vibe that that he does on that. And speaking of the country Western vibe, like I, uh, legitimately, I enjoyed a lot of this stuff, uh, but I don't get why Western Sky is considered to be like a masterpiece of their, their like of this album. Like it, it's one of the least interesting to my ears, at hmm. least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like uh, the only things I read on the internet, for the most part, were just like the song Western Sky is the best thing that they ever wrote. Like, and just like all of the YouTube comments were just like, Oh, those are the most amazing song. That's some of written. Too. Like, yeah. <clears throat> well, some people said last Harbor is the, well, the best song. The, I mean, the, uh, the, the, the uncredited writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. It could have just been a bot that wrote that. dude. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Last Harbor. Very sad. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why this is like of importance. Like, you know, it, it paves the way for your Elliot Smith's. It paves the way Elliot for your, Smith. For, for your magnetic fields. It paves sure. the way for all kinds of like sad sack shit. Like, yeah. And, you know, I genuinely enjoy a lot of it. Weird that slowcore is a thing that I had never heard of. and that You've heard of that, right? I had, well, not, heard, I had not heard the term. And then I looked it up. Yeah. And, like, it's a combination of sadcore and, and some other stupid thing <laughs> yeah, that yeah. they wuzzled together. Yeah. But, yeah, but the, this doesn't feel... This doesn't put me in the mood that Low put me in, which was just like, oh, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's weird that like they're the progenitors of the thing that like bummed me out when I was eighteen. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt, Rob. Yeah. Like I said, not I mean not not quite like REM, 
Um, but this is a band I could imagine seeing like in a bar or something, you know. Sure. Um, it's been wonderful live. Sure. Yeah. No, I think it I think it's great music. Yeah, you brought up low. Yeah, they're widely considered the first quote unquote first slowcore release uh and sort of establish them as pioneers of slowcore and influence on like post rock. But yeah, the combination of the rock, folk, country, punk, but then turned down and sad is it's a weird combination. It definitely took me a minute to to kind of like for it to weave itself into into my mind. Where does a Camper Van Beethoven like fit into this? Because we're not getting that and we're not getting Cracker. Yeah. Um, and it feels like they are kissing cousins. Oh, no Cracker? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people said Graham Parsons as well. It's like Nick Drake with Graham Parsons and then a, a bit on the indie side of, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think Cracker is, is definitely cousin right. cousin to right? it. Right, yeah. For sure. Rob, we saw Cracker together, right? Hell yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Skinny Girl was the other song that I was not quite so into. It, it, the vocals are really, really quiet. And then when the drums come in on the chorus, it's it's a little overwhelming. I see what they're doing there. And they it's do a little it, 80s. Yeah. Well, they do it better on Blue Gray Shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that's it a has track. the exact same motifs. That's it, it has this like very slow, somber verses and then the chorus kind of picks up with some drums but yeah blue gray shirt is sounds great but yeah pale skinny girl just it's like firefly the bookends here firefly and pale skinny girl were the were the ones that just kind of i wasn't into the rest of it though pretty into surprisingly yeah, I was I was hoping for more on Pale Skinny Girl so I could send it to Sheila. Be like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, thinking about you, but doesn't doesn't really work with this track. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of history on the recording. He came to Cal. Uh, he had had traveled previously in his life. Um, his dad was uh, stationed all different places for um, uh, the military, and so he finally came back to California. But when he came back to California, he was like what he imagined in his mind was completely different from, you know, when he moved to San Francisco and it was in a less than well off area. Uh, And he this was just an album about all the things he was seeing going around. Obviously, like I said, he was overdosing on Nick Drake records. Um, But, yeah, he was just all these things were a person who died died of AIDS going out to the bars and seeing, you know, Mr. Passed out or whatever on, on the songs. And it, yeah, it, it just has to, it influenced his sort of writing of this. I thought that was interesting because it does feel, it does feel like a very, he's singing like Tom Waits sings about, you know, people struggling or hard times. And I got some Bruce Springsteen vibes too, where it's mm-hmm. a little bit like that West coast, 
uh, rock of uh, country rock. The uh, Bakersfield sound? I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I think you just said that. I got Mary pregnant. <laughs> yeah, this was a nice uh, nice discovery. Um, especially for the, the past few rainy days I've been putting it on and drinking some coffee. And yeah, this this is good stuff. I'm shocked I never heard of this. I, I thought this was a cool listen. It, it, it's, a, it's a warm blanket for yeah. uh, self-loathing. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, it's great for that. Like if you if you're feeling uh, down in the dumps, definitely put this thing on. And <laughs> you want a little more? That's right. Why not? This um, is uh, wallowing music. <laughs> yeah, wallow core. I was gonna say blue gray shirt <laughs> we're listening to right now. It just sounds kind of like a like a western ballad a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes, that a pedal steel. Yeah, it's good. I do like the production a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I, see I've it, read some people calling it kind of thin, but. I mean, it is what, like 88? Did they put headphones on, though? Yeah, I wouldn't call this then. It's not overproduced. No. It's, it's, vi- I think sl- that's a part of slowcore, though, right? I don't know. I've just yeah. learned of it. <laughs> you tell me. But when you, slowcore, I think, has more of the, uh, what do you say, uh, bedroom recording quality, where it's, it's not like, a, doesn't sound like you're in this professional studio and every all the like the guitars are and vocals are all you know up up at a level uh, there's like a baseline level that you have for rock music country music and i think slowcore like takes that down you know a couple decibels hmm. okay and that's you're supposed you're not supposed to listen to it well you could but i think a lot of that has to do with the intention that this is going to be played at a comfortable le- level. It's not going to, you know, some rock albums, it's like you want it to be played at 10, right? If it's too soft, you're too aggro, yeah, exactly. bro. So I think, yeah. you know, taking it down a little bit. So if you were to put this on next to an, another album, it would probably sound like in excess kick. Yeah. It would be just like Jason Newstead's bass. <laughs> <laughs> Take it two decibel level. That's right. Below. That's right. <laughs> Uh, I did find a a, a funny thing um, about this band. Uh, In 1991, they released an album called Everclear, Mm -hmm. uh, which Rolling Stone then uh, in 91 named uh, Mark Eitzel the Songwriter of the Year. In 91? 91, yeah. Yeah. You You got Songwriter of the Year in 91, and they were on tour in Germany. Um, and quote, I remember we were somewhere in Germany and we found out about the Rolling Stone polls as Eitzel. It made me feel real good. But for the next show, there were about 20 people in the audience and they were army guys and they thought American Music Club were some righteous American freedom fighting, cool ass Springsteen influenced Guns N' Roses kind of guys. And we did not rock. (laughs) They didn't know we'd made one of the best records of the year, quote, one of the best records of the year, unquote. And he said... And he was the, quote, best songwriter, adds uh, bassist Dan Pearson. They couldn't give a fuck about that shit, said Eitzel, and they certainly didn't agree. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is funny because, you know, right now we're listening to Bad Liquor, which is... It's a rocker. A rocker. Yeah. And it's exactly what he's describing. So, so wait, I'm sorry. Songwriter of the Year in 1991. 1991. Songwriter of the Year. That's one of the best years of pop music of all time. Yeah. He was the best songwriter. We are not covering the album Everclear in this book, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't give a shit about Everclear. And maybe, uh, 
I mean, maybe that writer for Rolling Stone, like, rolled over from Melody Maker and it was the same guy that mm-hmm. was like, this is the best band that's ever existed. Yeah, it's very possible, fanboy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although they vote on that. I believe Rolling Stone, it has it's like a consensus vote. I heard that Jeremy spoke and, and <laughs> he said... Rolling Stone <laughs> has made some legendarily bad calls. Yeah, so. that's true. Consistently so. Yeah. Um, yeah, when Bad Liquor came on, I was like, what is... Wait, yeah, me too. Hold on. That was, yeah, my first listen, I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and then I, I read reviews and people are like, everything's pretty good except for bad liquor. Oh, like, oh shit. Interesting. I just, yeah, it's song two, uh, track two, side two. I was like, this is great. It got my attention for sure. Mm-hmm. After blue and gray shirt, like heartbreaking song. It's like, it's cool. Yeah, it's a little like shaky by the shoulders. It's- yeah. Sounds like a uh, Reverend Peyton song or something. Yeah. <laughs> Reverend Horton Heat, for sure. There we go. One of those reverends. Youth Pastor Peyton. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust that guy. <laughs> I would play in that band. <laughs> yeah. I would AC Slater yeah. a fucking chair <laughs> with, my, like, with my guitar slumped over it <laughs> and do all oh, that boy. dumb finger picking. Uh... Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, the recording of the album was a fraught affair. When composing the demos, Eitzel had used a series of strange open tunings on his guitar, and he struggled to convey the sound that he heard in his head to the band. The producer, Tom Mallon, pushed uh, the band to breaking point, recording and re-recording everything from the simplest guitar break to the smallest drum beat until he felt that he had perfectly captured the essence of the songs. Often, Eitzel's throat would bleed after repeated attempts to find the vocal performance that Malin was seeking. Malin even resorted to cutting up hundreds of strips of the master tapes and pieced them together in an attempt to bring one of the tracks into time. As the recording uh, wore on, tensions between the band and the producer increased. The problem stemmed from the fact that Malin owned both the studio they recorded in and the record label. As Malin allowed the band to record for free, they uh, all had day jobs. The arrangement placed on all the power in his hands. Malin felt that because he was invested so much of his own time, money and energy into the project that he should have total control. The band was increasingly believed that it was abuse of his position. And they pushed back crazy. I mean, it just seemed like madman in the studio that produced it. I mean, how can your throat bleed when you're singing so softly? I don't know. I mean, no, I, I can hear it a little bit. Like on the second track, he pushes it. Pretty he strains hard. it. Yeah, I w- that's what I was wondering I don't know if I would too. Bleed though, like, well, yeah. W- Did he have strep? Just like Is that a euphemism. Like pale skinny girl when he's singing that, I was like, his singing sounds a little off. And then after I read, you know, he had re-recorded, re-recorded. It, yeah, it does yeah, kind of. Yeah. And even Firefly, some of the it, it, it's weird. Like blue gray shirt, his voice sounds perfect in the mix and everything. But there are a couple, you know different things where it does sound like he's straining his voice. Like he can't hit the notes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of endearing to me. No, I think so. But yeah, sounds rough. What track is this? Is this Jenny? Yeah, this is the Elliot Smith track. Yeah. Immediately. I was like, Hey, I I turned back into a depressed 19 year old. When I heard this song, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to write some poetry. I'll be right back. What a horrible transformation. (laughs) What a a horrible mutant power. (laughs) I got my hair back, but I'm sad. (laughs) 
what you really think about this. I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was a surprise. I think we gave Tim Buckley a, a hard time. Rightly so, because he has so many three albums in this book. It's um, a lot. It's a lot. Uh, but Nick Drake, we kind of gave a pass to, and he had three albums in this book. Um, when he could have just been like one or two. Nick Drake is a... I, I'm something to say he's that a, Nick Drake he is, is more a, of a... Is a, yeah. is a better product yes. than what Tim Buckley was Yeah, yeah. Out. The best thing that Tim Buckley ever put out was his son. <laughs> we'll be covering him later. <laughs> I take. But I think that this is good. It took me a minute to warm up. Like I said, the, straight out the gate, I was like, no, I'm going to hate this. This sounds yeah. awful. And Man. then the second song came on. I was like, all right, all right. And then the third song, you know, it just kept kept kind of getting better. Uh, and then after repeated listens, thinking about it more and how it kind of fit in, I always, obviously, I'm the person who always wants to be like, where does it fit in with the music, you know, history? And it does seem to be right there and it is important enough i feel like so yeah i'm on the positive on it yeah i'm glad you guys are too yeah like i i feel like we're on the same page kind of took a while to come to it but kind of recognize the artistic merits of of this underheard record yeah definitely i i did you guys even look at um the sales no i I couldn't find anything i don't think it really sold man no it didn't Uh, it's, yeah, I, I th- like I think, the fact that we still haven't heard about this band, dude. I felt like I, I I texted William earlier today. I was like, "Hey, do you have any opinions on American?" Uh, you know, we should mention William knows every band. Ameri- ever. Yeah, American Music Club. <laughs> well, he he kind of does, and he was like, yeah. "You know what? I've heard the name. I've never heard the band." I yeah. was like, "Fucking for real." Also, Jackson, who is like a radio DJ and knows everything. Yeah literally was like oh yeah i've heard people excited about mark eitzel and he was like i don't know anything about the band i was like whoa yeah fucking crazy like i i i found the hippest person i knew (laughs) and they didn't know a fucking thing about this band so i i assumed that they were like a european band with an ironic name yeah me too it just i I almost know american music club yeah you know it just sounds it's a very generic sounding uh name also, doing yeah. research was was not not as easy no. because it's so generic. <laughs> Turns out, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you can't find it streaming. It's not available to purchase on uh, mm-hmm. your your Apple mm-hmm. things. So, like, mm-hmm. to your 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 best bet is uh, YouTube. I mean, or I guess email uh, Mark Heitzel and be like, "Hey, can I buy your record, please?" Yeah. You, you should do that. Yeah. Um, well, I was looking. I think. I think this is the band I looked up on Amazon and they have, they remastered the songs like last year, maybe. And there's a physical release this year, I think. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. I didn't um, see any because release. the vinyl, um, I mean, you know about Amazon's prices are all over the place, but yeah, I didn't even a new look copy up of this the... on vinyl was like 400 bucks. <laughs> I didn't even look up the discogs price, but I'm going to right now. But yeah, overall, I think it has, amazing songs that would I, I don't know i i feel like this is a, a a deep cut band and yeah it was a pleasure to kind of be introduced to this band oh, you can actually pick up this record uh on vinyl for 39 dollars 99 with five dollars shipping from the u.s in very good condition yeah this is a this is a treat um this is a very genuine band very heartfelt I didn't know about that Rolling Stone tidbit about writer of the year in 1991. That's <laughs> yeah. maybe a little misguided, but it's, it's, 
You know. I mean, I, I don't know. I never, I never heard of the band. I don't know if that record is like truly a pinnacle of like songwriting. Yeah, for, for a singer, for a singer songwriter, like so, you, know, you know what I mean. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to say that he's like it blows never mind out of the water or anything. But you know, as far as like a like, I mean, this is the same year as like Dangerous. You know, know. like songwriting is lyrical though. True. I believe I don't think it has to do with melody as well. So ah, jawbreaker. That's yeah. another thing that this reminded me of. Yeah. Sure. K- kissing the bottle, man. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I <clears throat> had written down was like a lot of the stuff I feel were probably B sides on the single soundtrack. Okay. And uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's raining in Seattle and Cameron Crowe. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. It does about. sound I mean a lot of these songs sound exactly like the sad part in a movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like perfect for Oh no, I just broke up with Monona Ryder. Yeah. The characters <laughs> like walking away in the rain down by the the river or whatever. And yeah. The river. Yeah. <laughs> we go down <laughs> to the river. <laughs> Alright, next time we'll be talking about Morrissey, Viva Hate. Alright, thanks y'all. Please don't you go